And I was one, you know, the freshman, we got there a little bit earlier and we're all sitting at a seat and talking and kind of being really quiet because we're all kind of shy. And all the other guys that are the starters or fellas, they start walking in and you're looking around and you're just like, whoa, you know, what did I get myself into here? And then, and you wonder, you were like, am I ever even going to be able to play? Am I ever going to be able to see the field? It was kind of overwhelming at first. And and honestly, I, I didn't know if I belonged there. Welcome to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions podcast alongside Colton Nuanez. I am Ryan Tutel. Thank you for joining us on yet another episode of the Grizz Greats podcast. And this time, our conversation with safety Blaine McElmurray. Blaine McElmurray, another Montana born and bred kid from Troy, Montana. He ended up coming to the University of Montana to play football for four seasons from 93 through 96. Was a junior on the 1995 National Championship team. Went on to play in the NFL as well. And Coulter, as a safety, Blaine McElmurray, as good as it gets for this Montana football team. There's been some small towns in Montana that have been hotbeds. Troy, Montana is actually not one of them. There's only been, I think, three guys ever from Troy to go Division One. but Blade McElmurray unquestionably the best player ever from Troy, Montana. During his time at Troy, 12 letters. I think that's as many as you can get. That seems like all of them. Pretty darn good. But then he comes to the University of Montana. He's a four-year starter. He was an all-conference player in 1994 and then an All-American in 1995, uh, rising up to become one of the great safeties in the history of the Big Sky Conference, quite honestly, not just the University of Montana. But Blaine was a stalwart on that 1995 team, a guy that helped everybody get lined up, a guy that inspired people, and also a guy that made a ton of plays during his junior year. He had 64 tackles, three interceptions, five pass breakups a year, and first-team All-Big Sky Conference honors and All-American honors. And his tone-setting hit in the 1995 National Championship game against Marshall, one of the memorable moments, one of the pinnacle moments in that game, and definitely something we get into with him in this interview. It is interesting. If you go back and watch that game, one of the things that's very clear early on in that football game, particularly when Montana was on offense, was what I would call physical domination from Marshall in a lot of ways, especially up front. Dave Dickinson took a ton of hits, and Marshall was certainly the biggest, fastest, strongest team that the Grizzlies had played to that point. And Wayne McElmary coming across to the side and laying a hit in a day and age when you could still lay a hit was a huge, huge deal. And the wide receiver popped up, ended up getting a 15-yard unsportsmanlike penalty on Marshall for taunting back at Blaine McElmurray. And I think that, as you said, a major tone-setting moment in that football game and certainly one of the most memorable instances from the 1995 National Championship. Blaine was also a member of the junior class that was a really, really talented class. And they helped, obviously, propel Montana to this National Championship. But then they were also the class that had to sort of become the first to wear that target on your back as a Grizzly. In 1996, Montana entered the season number two in the country and soon rose to number one. And that was the first time that Montana had been this pivotal number one team in the country where everybody's gunning for them. And during McElmurray's senior year, 14 straight wins. They return to the national championship game. They run into Marshall again. And oh, by the way, they have a pretty good free agent acquisition, a guy named Randy Moss. And the rest is history. But I think that's an interesting deal. This this class that was juniors in 95 and then seniors in 1996 
they were the ones that sort of helped Montana cross that bridge into becoming going from this upstart underdog trying to affirm themselves as nationally prominent to then the power, the Goliath in the Division One AA division. And they also were the class that had to stem the coaching change as well with Don Reed retiring in the spring of 1996 and Mick Dennehy taking over. So they are a class and led by Blaine McElmurray who definitely uh, were sort of the bridge between the upstart era of Montana football and then what became some of the highest expectations and some of the highest accomplishments in the history of Division One AA and FCS football. Thanks for being with us. Please enjoy this episode of Grizz Greats with University of Montana safety Blaine McElmurray. Hello, Blaine. Nice to see you. It's good to be here with you guys and rehashing football, especially since we're not going to have football this season. That is a fact. That's why you're here, in fact. We're going to line up. You're going to show us a couple of of things here. I mean, it looks like you can still play. No question. Yeah. I got about one run in me, and I think I'm going to pull a hamstring. (laughs) It's one more than we got. I can tell you that. Uh, Good to have you in here. Obviously, so much to talk about, but want to start with your roots, going back to Troy, Montana, and growing up in Troy, and uh, you're the son of a coach, right? Your dad, you know, yep, coaching exactly. there at, at, at Troy for many, many years. Was it always going to be the Grizzlies for you if you were going to play Division One football, and where did that connection come from? You know, for me, I my dad played at Carroll, but I always wanted to be a Grizz growing up. There was a guy, and you guys probably remember him, his name was Jody Farmer. Jody mm-hmm. Farmer played for the Grizzly, Grizzlies, and he was from Libby. And so I can remember being out hunting or whatever we were doing, and we always tried to catch the games and listen to the Grizz. And it was always just a um, – it was never a doubt in my mind that if I could play, I wanted to be a Grizz, not a Bobcat for sure. And, you know, Troy was a small little town, and, you know, Missoula seemed like the New York City compared to Troy. And so, it, you know, it was a big deal and, you know, kind of a dream that I didn't know if it would actually happen. So many guys that grow up in Montana, the the visibility of both the Bobcats and the Grizzlies have been so it's been so bright for so long. So many guys dream of being Grizz, but oftentimes there's a guy from your town that you look up to, and you mentioned Jody Farmer, but there was really nobody from Troy at that moment that had come. And Troy was more way more of a basketball town at that point, right? Yeah, Troy just didn't really have a lot of success up there in general. Right, I mean, totally. They, there wasn't really anything that they had done. Um, at that time, you know, we were lucky when I was in high school, we had won the state championship in football. My dad was head coach. Was um, that the first one? Was that the that first? That was the first one. I was going to say, I think that was yep. the first. That was the first one. And then at the same time, the um, girls basketball team, track team, they were loaded up. And so Troy at that time was, you know, just kind of killing it, track, football, basketball. And it was a neat thing growing up in Troy because, first of all, Troy, some of you may not know, it's a tiny little town. We don't even have a stoplight in the town. And so when sports are there for the weekend, everyone comes. I mean, our little gym was packed. Our football stadium was packed. And, and that, was hap- that usually happened anyway. But then when you have a team that's successful, people would travel all around and go to all our games. And it was kind of new at the time. They started having broadcasts, uh, a radio broadcast for our games. And that, that was really new at the time. And, uh, but people came from everywhere to go you know, travel to, you know, especially when you're in Troy, you can go all the way up to Darby. You know, it's like four and a half hour drive and people would come. So it was a big deal up in Troy, uh, the sports. In fact, coming here, my daughters go to Sentinel and I would go down to the Sentinel games and I'd just be shocked how few people 
for there right. because our little town would bring more people in than they can bring in. Right. Is it when when uh, when those first championships were won? The first championship was won. What was it like in Troy following that? Oh, it was it was amazing because uh, that little town, you know, a lot of things up there. It's you know, it's lumber and it was a mining town, and the sports didn't really put them ever on the map. And so all of a sudden now, Troy is like this powerhouse in football. And, you know, my, jun- my uh, junior year, we had eight guys kicked off for drinking prior to our playoffs. And that season, we would have made a run at it as well. And so people were just ex- had big expectations. And even from when, when we were little, the, these few classes that we had, because we would never, the middle schools would never win a game. And the next thing you know, we were winning one or two. The next thing we're winning every game. And so growing up, everybody was kind of expecting or, or at least hoping that we'd be good when we got to that point. And so it was really fun, and especially with my dad being there and, you know, having been at practices since I could remember, that was where I was babysat at, basically. Being at practice, you know, picking up the balls for the guys, the guys taping me to the doors or, or whatever. I mean, <laughs> riding on the buses in the back. In fact, my dad would always be like, oh man, I don't know if you should go to the back. You know, what are you learning? Because, you know, these guys were, you know, you know, high school guys with a right. uh, second grader and stuff. What the heck's going on? You know? <laughs> so I learned a lot of stuff pretty early. And, but it was fun. It was something that was part of my life from the time I can remember. And, and uh, it was just a really special time to be able to do that with my dad and having gone through that experience together. It was like nothing. All the best lessons are learned on the back of the bus, right? Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I learned more on the back of the bus than in any of my years right. of education. And look at how well you've turned out. <laughs> I think it's one thing that's so fascinating to me about small Montana towns, too, is sometimes when you see a surge in great athletes, you can pin it on a specific thing that's going on in the community. Was there anything going on in the Troy Libby area at that time? Was the mine rolling along? Yeah, that's kind of what it was. The mine was really rolling at the time, and lumber was still going pretty good. So Troy was one of the bigger Class B schools. Right. And so we had a lot more athletes. And, um, you know, leading up to our state championship, we had good teams. And even after I left, they had good teams for a while. There's just so many more kids. And, and you know, when a, when a program starts to grow, too, you get so many more kids that are starting to work harder, more kids are coming out. And we just kind of developed this program there. And it kind of fed off of itself for a while. When it came time to get recruited, I know you wanted to go to the University of Montana, you have – you know, your dad is the coach, so there's a certain level of communication that is generally had between coaches and at the high school and the collegiate level. But what was it? Who came to see it? Was it Don Reed? Was it Jerome Sowers? Was it somebody else? And what what was the 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 sort of the the pitch and the way that it happened for you coming out of high school that when you said, "Okay, I'm going to the Grizzlies." Yeah. So how it kind of started is I went came down to the football camps that they used to have. Well, right. they still have them, I guess. But I think being a class C, class B school, a lot of people don't really know what type of athlete you are because the competition level isn't the same by any means as double A. And so I went down to the camps and at those camps, I performed really well. And so after that, then that's kind of how they saw, you know, hey, this kid might be someone that we're looking for. And so then they started showing up at some of the games. And, um, you know, I'm trying to remember who even was there. I don't even remember for sure who it was, but we started getting them quite often. You know, they would be like, hey, we're going to show up at this game or whatever. And, and so it was really exciting. And then having gone to the state championship, I remember, I think Coach Dennehy, and I don't remember who else were down on the sidelines. I remember seeing them down the sidelines with their Grizz stuff for the national, for the championship state foot championship football game. And so that was that was pretty cool. 
And, um, you know, then when I got a ch chance, I had chances to go there and MSU were basically my two main schools. But academically, I thought I should go to MSU because I wanted to be an electrical engineer. But I couldn't get myself to go to MSU. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be a Grizz. So that's where I ended up. Do you have memories of the Grizz when you were a, a kid pre-high school? Because the, the I think now it's so easy to forget that what the Grizz became, which you guys had a large hand in, in mm -hmm. building the foundation for, was not what the Grizz were in the early 1980s. I mean, the, it, the Bobcats ruled the day all the way the 70s, all the way through the mid-80s, and then it shifted And when Don Reed came. But I think that when you committed to the Grizz, no, I think just the 1989 team was the only team that had made the playoffs in the last 20-some years. So do you remember what the Grizz were like when you were a kid? Yeah, so when – well, when I don't remember exactly what they were like. In fact, I don't even know if I had even been to a game. Mm. You know, because we – my dad coached every Saturday. Sure. So we didn't have many opportunities to get up to go to games. But um, I just know that when we came in, my class, the, you know, we weren't very good. And the big goal was to win the Big Sky. And that would, could have been just as big as the national championship at the time because – it just didn't happen. And then things just kind of started changing. We started winning the Big Sky. We started, you know, winning every week. And then the goals kind of changed. At Blackfoot Communications, we're experts at keeping your business technology up and running. From networks and security to communications and 24-7 support, our team works with you to understand your technology concerns, then deploys the right solution for your unique needs. Whether your company is just starting out or is looking to take that next step, Blackfoot is here to help. For more information, visit grizzgrates.com or call 866-541-5000. Blackfoot, connect to more. When it came to your arrival on campus and now you are a member of this football team, what do you remember? I mean, you've been to the camps, you've been to the school, but now you're a part of the team, you know, playing playing football, practicing, being in Washington Grizzly, obviously still a very new stadium and a, and a, and a crown jewel, which it still is, but that was – you know what five six years that it even existed when he, well seven i guess when when you got to campus but uh what was it like to just be a member of that team when you first arrived well i'll tell you what i can still remember this pretty clearly i can remember walking in kind of one of our first kind of get togethers we were at the food service and at the time no students are on campus and you walk in and i was one you know the freshman we got there a little bit earlier and we're all sitting at a seat and talking and kind of being really quiet because we're all kind of shy and all the other guys that are the starters or fellas they start walking in and you're looking around and you're just like whoa you know what did I get myself into here and then and you wonder you were like am I ever even going to be able to play am I ever right. going to be able to see the field I mean you see these guys especially coming from Troy where my starting center was 155 pounds <laughs> <laughs> I mean and then you see Scott Gregg yeah and I see these guys and I'm like even the guys I don't know who they are they're huge right. and, and it was just a kind of a wake-up call like uh are you sure you wanted me to come here I I don't know if I can do this if if I can fit in so yeah it was it was this kind of a scary and kind of eye-opening and I didn't know what could happen and then you know like you said then you walk into the stadium you know it's just like people are can sit all around this thing you know in Troy we have the little bleachers on the side and most of the people stand along the sidelines right you know completely different thing and so, yeah, it was uh, it was kind of overwhelming at first, and and honestly, I I didn't know if I belonged there. What was was there a moment when you said okay? I mean, there there had to be obviously it progressed at some point, but was there was there an instance that you recall where you go, 
I can play at this level. You know, I think what it was more than anything is I had a lot of the coaches that were really positive with me and told me, hey, you can do this, you can do that. And they came to me early in camp and said, hey, uh, we might not redshirt you. And to me, that was kind of shocking. I think at that moment, it's kind of like, well, they must think that I can do this. And then it was only like probably two or three days later, I tore my ACL mm. in a scrimmage. And so then that was kind of to the wayside. But that was kind of the moment when they said, we don't want you to redshirt. That kind of said, oh, okay, they want you to play now. So that must mean that, you know, I can do this. The, the get coaching staff, the dynamic of the personalities is interesting because Don Reed is just such this overarching figure. But then you have Mr. Butte McDanahy, but then you have sort of the uh, – the, the storytelling grandfather in Jerome Sowers. I know he's a lot younger back then, but he, he's such an intellectual type coach, not the fire and brimstone that maybe Craig Paulson brings, mm-hmm. not the you know not the perfectionist that Brent Pease is. What do you remember about that coaching staff and Jerome Sowers specifically? He, he had such a reputation for developing great players in the secondary. He had done it with Tim Houck. I mean, what sort of things did you, did you remember about Coach Sowers? You know, Coach Sowers was, uh, he was great. And as a, he was obviously the defensive coordinator at the time and my position coach. So having him as your position coach, you got to know him a lot better. And uh, he was just, he was a great guy because he was really competitive. But then when things didn't go well, sometimes he, he didn't get all over your case. He's like, it's okay. We're going to live to fight another day, basically. And let's just recruit, regroup and uh, let's analyze what happened here and let's move on. And so I really appreciated that with him because, you know, sometimes for the most part, we had a lot of success, but sometimes things didn't go well. We played an Idaho game and I don't remember if it was this year or not, but we went down to Idaho. Yeah, we lost this game 43-55. And that was the last loss of the 95 season, right? Yeah. And we went down there and we played really poorly, especially on defense. And um, it, it it was horrible. And we were all came back expecting, you know, just maybe a total butt chewing. And he was just like, you know what? Sometimes you eat the bear, sometimes the bear eats you. <laughs> and today we got eight. So, I mean, he was, he, he was great. And, you know, uh, Coach Sowers made football fun. Coach Sowers had that tough side to him, but he also um, was there to, like your dad, you know, and he was on your side. So he, he was terrific, and I couldn't have asked for a better coach to be around. The, the dynamic of the league back then leading up to the 95 season was distinctly different than it is now as well. I mean, Bobby Houck talks all the time now. Anybody that's playing Montana, it's the biggest game of the year because they're playing Montana. They're playing the Grizzlies. Grizz hadn't quite established that reputation as the juggernaut of the league quite yet with Nevada, Idaho, uh, Boise State still in the league. I mean, what do you remember about sort of trying to fight into that, the higher ranks of, of the big sky? At that oh, time? yeah. I mean, it's funny now. I mean, the teams that were the teams to beat were Idaho, and granted, Idaho's came back, but they were a lot better team back then. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think I, Idaho, between the Dennis Erickson and John L. Smith days, they rolling. made the playoffs like eight out of 13 years yes. and made it to the semifinals, I think, four times. They were rolling. Great, yeah, they great were rolling. And, and then we had Boise State. I think the year, maybe this year or the year prior to this, they might have played the national championship. They did. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and they were a tough team. And then we don't, when I was there, they didn't have Nevada Reno. But, and then we always had to go down to northern Arizona, and we always struggled there. And so it was tough just to win our conference, let alone. I mean, for a while there, it was like nobody was going to take out the Grizz and the Big Sky. It, it just wasn't. It's evened out now. But for a while, those teams were tough. And so... I always kind of felt like, you know, when Boise and Idaho left, I mean, man, this should be an easy conference for the Grizz because two best teams gone. 
when it came to uh, your for, as a team taking those steps because it was building you know in the back half at that point of Don Reed's tenure at the University of Montana though people didn't know it of course a lot of people talk about uh, uh, Dave Dickinson's coming out party is that South Dakota game uh, that that really kind of put the we're going to find a way to win no matter what mentality into the group but there was still those couple of years of building what do you remember about coming into the 95 season having made a run in 1994 obviously Dave was injured at the end of that season but but had really kind of established yourselves as a national contender even heading into a national power what were your expectations going into 95 yeah 95 we had really high expectations and you know I don't remember at what point during the season it was but I can remember coach had gathered us all down at Washington Grizzly and we were down on the field and he's down there and he's talking about some stuff and the next thing you know he looks up and he points at the press box and he goes guys we're going to win a national championship and we're going to have 1995 put right up there on the press box and he talked about that a number of times and you know, I think that kind of turned into our ultimate goal because the year before we had, you know, like you had said, Dave got hurt in that semifinal game against Youngstown. And had that not happened, it would have been a different game. And um, we, did, we realized that we were the team, if we played well, that nobody could beat us. And that season, I mean, it kind of went along that way. I mean, Dave kind of started playing here at that Washington State game and we lost that game. But we realized that we could play with the big boys. And at that year, Washington State was not just a slacker team. They were a good team that year. And that whole season, though, we had big goals in mind. And Don Reed had kind of put that in our head. You know, we had that in the back of our head, but he kind of put that at the forefront and said, you guys can do that. And we bought in. And sure enough, just kind of steamrolled most of the season. As you're building that, I mean, 93 was a playoff year, 94, a semifinal year. And then huge expectations coming into 95. Do you remember a common theme or a common motivating factor amongst the team? You know, I don't, but I, I do remember that we felt like our offense could put up points with anybody. With Dave at that time, we were just putting up points like crazy. And our defense was really good too. And so we were just, we had such a total team at that point that we felt strong whoever we would face because we were so balanced. It wasn't like, hey, you got this great offense, but your defense is terrible or, or vice versa. We were just all around a really good team. And uh, a lot of guys, a lot of backups too that could come in and step in too, even if someone got hurt. Did you feel an elevated sense of responsibility defensively since it had been proven? I mean, I think you guys scored 40 in the playoffs multiple times the year before. So did you feel an elevated sense of responsibility defensively? Like, hey, if we could just hold these guys in the 20s, we're going to win going away? Oh, yeah. And it made it so much easier because we would jump out on someone so quickly. And the next thing you know, they're throwing every down. Right. And a lot of those teams we played were from the south. And they're running, you know, at the time, teams weren't used to the wide open offense that we ran. And so they were unprepared. And I mean, really, the playoffs were easier for us than the regular season because teams in the Big Sky were more used to what we did. And other teams kind of did the same kind of stuff that we did. So uh, when you had a Georgia Southern come down and play us in cold weather, first of all, and second of all, running a hard cover two against four wideouts running up the field, they didn't have a chance. No chance. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, an option team has to try to throw the ball to catch up. You know, as a defense, we were salivating. You know, it, it was perfect. It, it couldn't have gotten any better. Well, what was playing defense in the league like back then? Because first of all, in practice, it must have been crazy because you guys are running one of the most innovative offenses that college football had seen at that point. But 
in the league. I mean, Boise State was going all over the place. Idaho was throwing the ball all over the place with their single back stuff. So, I mean, it was sort of ahead of its time, right? The Big Sky Conference offensively. Oh, for sure, without a doubt. And in practice, we, you know, how, how it always is, you know, the offense gets all the praise. You know, and then being a defensive player, you know, we were always kind of like, oh, what the heck? You know, how come no one talks about us? It's like it's like the old cliche. Anytime the head coach says the that we had a bad practice, it's because the offense, because the defense won the day, right? Oh, (laughs) anytime the defense wins, the head coach says we had a terrible practice. Oh, you're you're exactly right, (laughs) and that happened all the time because. We always joked. We're like, well, you guys aren't anything. We shut you down all the time in practice. You guys can't do anything against us. <laughs> so it, it was, you know, and it was kind of uh, pretty chippy at times. And there was fights and it was pretty vicious because, you know, we weren't going to back down to them. They thought they were the best in, in the country and they, they were offensively. And we were like, we're not we're not taking anything from you guys. And so we got after them pretty good in practice and it got pretty, uh, there was a lot of back and forth. But when it came time and things were, uh, serious. We all came together and really played well together. Give us one. What, what what was the what was the most heated it got in practice? What was the what was the what was the big blow up? Oh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't just any one thing. It was like almost every day, <laughs> because we had at the time we had a lot of receivers, and you know, a lot of the receivers they're great guys, but compared to the defensive guys, we're just different mentality. And so they'd be out there with their little towels on, running around and all clean, and <laughs> acting whatever. And you know what? Someone would grab them and throw them on the ground, and they would just get up and be pissed. Right. But we're, you know, it's just it's just totally different thing. You know, you got the offensive linemen all sitting there getting in their pass stance, and then you got the D linemen that are spitting and you know have blood on them, and they're shoving on them, and do, you know, just it's just different. The two sides of the ball is so much different, and. Um, you know, since we didn't get respect with them either, we we earned it in practice. Um, I'm so interested to continue in this dynamic too, because so much was made of of the three games prior to the national championship, offensively, and why not 48, 45, and hello 70, but also 14 total points allowed in those three games, two shutouts, you know, and then you blew up and gave up 14 points in a game that you won by 56. And then, as it turned out in the national championship game, it was it was primarily a defensive football game. How much confidence did you have coming through there as a unit, even though everybody's looking at at you know Dave and the wideouts and the scoring and all that about hey, I know it's Chad Peddington who wasn't exactly what we were you know we didn't know where he was going to go and all that kind of stuff at the time, but a, a very good football player, a great offense, a great running game, a big group, and and you had to go in and shut him down and largely did. Yeah, you know, I, just because I'm going to add this tidbit, and I could be wrong, but I think in that 70-14 game, since you said we gave up 14, I think one of those was an interception return for a touchdown. I mean, come on, Dave! <laughs> come on, Dickinson! What are you doing? <laughs> and, and, and here's the other tidbit people don't realize. Our offense would score so fast. It was usually three three plays and touchdown or five plays and touchdown. We were on the field all the time. Right. You know, because they would score so fast. And so... I don't. I'd be curious to know amount of plays. You know, everyone's all into how many plays you have a game. Most of these teams had way more plays than we did because we had to be on defense the whole time because yeah. we would score so fast. Sometimes we'd be like, guys, that's great you scored, but hey, can you stay out there a little while? We just came and sat down. <laughs> but yeah, going into the national championship game, you know, the thing about them is they were so balanced. You know, our team, we were throwing, we threw the ball every down. Yeah. And if we were trying to run the ball, we'd throw a swing pass. You know, that was our run game. And so 
when we played them, they, they had such a big offensive line, such a big defensive line. And I think up front, that really created challenges for us. And because they could run the ball so well, I think their running back that year went on to play for the, in the NFL a little bit. And the tight end that went on and played in the NFL, they had a defensive end that played in the NFL. I mean, they had a lot of guys. Well, Chad Pennington, obviously. Well, mm-hmm. they're only two years away from from moving to at that time one A. Yeah, right? I mean, F- so they FPS were football. They they were by far the best play team that we had played, and it, defensively, it was a real struggle because they were just so balanced. You know, most of these teams, it's you know, like our offense was going to throw the ball every down, but they they could throw the ball and they could run the ball well, and it really created a lot of challenge for us. Coulter, in 1993, the Grizz football team was looking to host its first playoff game of the decade and just its second season of playoffs in school history. As we know, you got to have some financial backing to guarantee a home game. And former First Security Bank president Bill Boucher stepped up, spearheading a group of local business owners to guarantee that bid for UM Athletics. And that commitment from First Security Bank to UM has never wavered. Bill Boucher, Gordy Fix, Several other business owners around the city of Missoula certainly had a huge influence in stepping up. Certainly some of the first true believers in what Grizz football could become and what they could mean to the Missoula community. Two years later, in 1995, the University of Montana had turned that local optimism into national prominence. The Grizz won the Division I AA National Championship, the first national title in the history of the university. And 25 years later, First Security Bank is still proud to sponsor the Grizzlies. First Security Bank, a presenting sponsor for Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, a 25-part podcast series remembering that epic 1995 season. First Security Bank, proud sponsor of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. How well do you remember specifically the game? I remember parts of it. I don't remember everything. There's been so many games, but I remember I remember parts of it. There's a, there's a we we've been watching it. Uh, we've watched it a couple times now, but there's a part early in the game, probably late in the first quarter, where Marshall uh, they hit one of the your guys' receivers coming over the middle. They get a flag. Next series, you go ahead and get yourself a personal foul. Do you remember this? No, no, I didn't get a personal it, it foul. It was the wide receiver. Oh, that's that right. You you lit, you lit him up, and then he yeah. yeah, yeah Blade yeah. says I didn't get a personal foul. Yeah. He remembers. Yeah, that's one part of the game that you have to remember, though. I mean, it oh, was, I, re- it I was remember the defensive that. moment. I remember of the game. that for sure. And and so the weird thing about this game is too is. I'm a safety. And this game, because our corner was hurt, I played corner. So oh the biggest game of my life, and all of a sudden I'm playing out of position that mm. I never play. Well, at least that guy wasn't Randy Moss like the next year, right? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> I don't think it would have mattered. I struggled no matter where I was at but uh, that year. But no, it was weird playing corner. And then, you know, he just threw it up there and he made it pretty easy on me to have a, a full head of steam before I got to him. But yeah, no, I remember that play because it was kind of big. That 15-yard penalty ended up costing him pretty good. And also, though, early in a football game that's low scoring and there's some ten- ten- tension, I guess, is, is one way to say it. You start to feel out the game a little bit. A play like that is an igniter, right? I mean, it was a, it, obviously everybody's ready to go in a national championship game, but you make a play like that in the game, and how much does the defense feed off of that? Oh, think? no, I think for sure. I mean, you come into the game and everybody's ready, but you're all just kind of nervous, so you're just kind of tight. And so you get a play like that that happens, and everyone just kind of loosens up and goes, okay, this is our defense. This is what we're used to. We're going to get after him. And so I, I think that definitely was a confidence build, builder. And, and that happens a lot, even just on the, your first kickoff. You run down and someone you smack someone or someone smacks you, you're like, 
okay, it kind of like, you kind of need that moment to get going. And I think something like that definitely helps everybody, inspires everyone to go, all right, we're ready. The last couple years of the bid for the national championship to be played in Huntington, West Virginia, and Marshall just happens to go ahead and earn a spot to play in their home field. Almost 36,000 people are there. I know thousands of Grizz fans went down, but you're still outnumbered about, you know, 32,000 to 2,000. What do you remember about the atmosphere and just the home field advantage they had that day? Yeah, I mean, it it was a really cool atmosphere because, you know, we never played in front of that many people before. Plus, right. it was so loud. And, uh, and, you know, having fans just everywhere screaming and hollering. And, and being the underdog, I think, is always kind of fun. You know, you come in there, you feel like everyone's against you. And I think we kind of thrived on that a little bit. But no, it was, it was a really great place to have national championship, even though it was in their hometown. But I think because of their hometown, they had such a crowd. Yeah. And because of that crowd being for them, it really just created a, a cool setup. And you know, we had, I don't know how many Grizzlies traveled, but we had our fair share too there. And, I, and all the other thing that was uh, against this is it's snowing in Montana at the time. One of the days we went and practiced at the tennis courts because it was so cold, we can't get outside. And when we did practice, it was icy and slippery. So then we now come into Huntington, and it's probably like 70-some that day. And it's on turf. And so we're like, we felt so out of it because, you you know, playing on snow and ice and then going and playing on turf, it, it you, at first, we, it took a while to try to adjust to the speed and the angles because everything was so messed up. Because it's a real advantage for them and for other teams to do that. I think the Grizzlies now have a little bit better advantage playing on the turf that they play here because when they go to these faster fields, it's not as big a change for them. Whereas for us, during those years, I knew I know we grew the grass extra tall mm-hmm. and watered it before some games to slow teams down, yeah. which really helped us. So that was a big disadvantage for us too. At Blackfoot Communications, we're experts at keeping your business technology up and running. From networks and security to communications and 24-7 support, our team works with you to understand your technology concerns, then deploys the right solution for your unique needs. Whether your company is just starting out or is looking to take that next step, Blackfoot is here to help. For more information, visit grizzgrades.com or call 866-541-5000. Blackfoot, connect to more. In that game, uh, Marshall had one lead, I believe, and it was with about four minutes to go. They scored a touchdown, a rushing touchdown, and took uh, uh, a one-point advantage as the game is ticking down. So the offense puts together an excellent drive. Everybody remembers Andy Larson and the kick and, and, and that moment. There's still about 40 seconds of football left. You know they got to throw the ball over the place. You're playing cornerback, and you're not a cornerback. And it's for everything. And there was still, I don't know, five or six defensive plays that you had to make. And and by the way, all they needed was to get into field goal range. What do you remember about the last series and stand to try and hold on for you know those last seconds that feel like an, a whole game unto itself? No, exactly. And, you know, I actually uh... – that those last 40 seconds seemed to take forever because right. you know we had it in our grasp and we didn't want to let it slip away and but i think for the most part i, I don't i don't think it all happens so fast and everybody is so focused in the game i don't think you have the time like you do when you're watching it to think about all these what ifs 
you're just living in the moment and you're just doing what you've been trained and do you know going through the routines and and the things that you know about how how they're going to play and playing your technique and relying on your teammates i think going in that last series even though it seemed like they had a good chance to go down and score we felt pretty good about our our ability to stop them especially since we knew they had to throw the ball like you said the, then the offense takes over and and i mean so must have been so much anxiety for you defensive players but also you got number 15 running the show, so you probably had a lot of faith. What was it like watching Dave drive him down for the, to get into position for Andy Larson's field goal? Yeah, no, I mean, we had our whole team had so much faith in Dave. Dave had performed so well all season, and not just Dave. I mean, the receivers would come up with clutch passes. The line seemed to always hold up just enough. And uh, it, it was something that we kind of expected that they would do it. I mean, I think it's just kind of the way the season went. I mean, whenever we needed something to happen well, I mean, I'm trying to remember back a couple of the games. I think, you know, uh, I'm looking at it. It wasn't Eastern Washington, but there's some other games that were tight and we needed to play here or play there, even though the score may not reflect it, that we came through. And, and we had the utmost confidence that Dave and that offense could do it. So, I mean, we weren't shocked at all. I mean, we just, we felt like we were destined to win this. And that in itself... You've been around athletics your entire life. It's a very rare moment that an individual or a team ever gets to experience that true moment of unwavering faith. You know it's going to happen. It's just a matter of making it culminate. I mean, yeah. that, that has to been that had to have been one of the most special moments of your athletic life. Oh, it was without a doubt. And and um, it's hard to Amy put into words or to explain to someone that hasn't been through an experience, whether a state championship, through some other big championship. I mean, they're all kind. I mean, national champion is something special, and to play for your home state is even cooler to all the people that you're representing. And uh, it was an experience like nothing else. And then we get back to town, and you know, we have this huge parade for us and everything else. And it, it, I, I wish I could live it again. Who are your best friends on the team, especially you know on the on the defensive side? Like, you, what was that like? The camaraderie of being together and, and going on those runs that you went on? Well, it was really fun because it was a nice mix of juniors and seniors and some underclassmen. But for the most part, the junior and senior class took up, you know, were most of the people. And a lot of the, you know, a lot of the defense were my good friends that we hang, hung out with all the time. And because we did that, you know, Brian Toon, uh, I, I shouldn't start naming names because I'm going to forget somebody. <laughs> but but my roommate was Sean Gokachia and Dave Kempford. And the only one of the guys that was one of my roommates that wasn't a defensive guy was Dave Kempford. You know, the defensive guys tended to hang along. Not that we weren't friends with offensive guys, but our you already said just you close. hated the offensive guys. <laughs> They're a bunch of prima donnas and get them out of here. So we've established that. Yeah. So don't go back on me now, Blaine. You yeah. know? Yeah. You know, it, I guess in the moment when you're in battle, you're friends then and, and you're friends outside. But you, you did. You have this family of defense. Sure. That we were together. But, um, just this and i think this is what made this team special is that these guys we the class that came in the class that left most of the guys were there from the beginning to the end for five years and we had built this bond throughout this time and in, in that other class too it was the same way that you weren't going to let each other down you weren't doing it because your coach was yelling you weren't doing it because you wanted to have success you were doing it for each other right and you weren't going to let your buddy down that you've been you know, lifting with every day for the last five years. You were there for each other. And I think that's what kind of made that team special is because we wanted to win for each other more than anything else. You mentioned doing it as a Montana guy. 
So many of the outstanding players on that team were Montana guys. I mean, all the best offensive linemen were Montana guys. You mentioned Dave Kemper, but Mike Agee, Eric mm-hmm. Simonson, Montana guys. You guys' defense, I mean, Johansi Manzanares, Brian Toon, Randy Riley, Jason Crebo, yourself, Mike Boucher. I mean, all these guys are Montana guys. Yeah. So how important do you think that was, just having the Montana influence and the pride that comes with being from Montana, playing for Montana? Well, I think that's kind of the problem that they've had in the past, you know, and how it's kind of changed that. I think in order to have a successful team, you need to have this core bunch of guys that believe and feel the same way. And then you can add in the other guys. But because you have this core bunch of guys that are on the same page and have grown up the same way, it's easier to to bond and to have success together. And so I think that's that was the thing. I mean, we were all from Montana and we we were into this together and we knew what it was about. And we and I, I think a little bit too, you know, our team was slower. We were a little bit smaller. We were the underdogs, but we were the Montana guys. We prided ourselves at being tougher and uh, smarter and, and just more determined than the other people that we went against. And I think that's ultimately what happened. I mean, if you went off athletically us against them, I don't think there'd be a comparison. They were going to be better than us. Who was the toughest guy on that team? On, on, the, on the guard, your Grizz team. Oh, there was, you know, Johansi is one of them that you talked about. Yeah. He, he was a tough dude. I mean, there was a, there was a lot of guys really hard. Randy Riley wasn't the biggest guy, but he was, he was a mean, tough guy. Butte, right? Yeah, Butte. I mean, we had a, quite a few Butte guys a on there. A lot of Butte guys. More Butte guys than there is now, for and, sure. And just hard-nosed guys that wouldn't give up. I mean, just relentless. And I think that's the thing, you know. Football comes down to a lot of times a play here or a play there. And if you're and if you don't give it up and you're relentless and every play is important to you, you get that one extra play. You get that one extra foot. That one thing that happened there in the game doesn't happen because that's the type of player you are. And those guys are like that. And there are a lot of that. And one of my best friends was uh, Sean Gokachia, mm-hmm. you know, right down here from the bitter. Steve, I, yep. And and his brother. And those guys are just hard nosed guys and um, just won't quit. What is the memory, your best memory, of after getting back to Missoula in the in the twenty fourth, forty eight, seventy two hours after landing? We know about the, the the landing, and that was in itself a major moment. Maybe that's it. But what do you what do you remember most about that? I can just remember sitting. Uh, we were in the um, basketball stadium there. We all they had like a little banquet or not banquet, but kind of a gathering there, and we we're just sitting around. And Coach Reed was up there just or up there just talking about the national champion stuff. And you're just kind of looking around at each other. You're going, we did it. And even now, sometimes it's so cool to still walk into the stadium and look up and see 1995 champions. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's a special time and it's a special thing to have something like that happen. And even today we're sitting here talking about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, these things kind of, at the time you don't realize that these things are going to live on forever. And, and, And it's just special that they do. And at the time, it seems great, but it seemed me as time goes on, it's almost even better. And it just it distinctly shifted everything about the University of Montana football program too, because like you said, even Coach Reed was saying we're going to have ninety five national champions champions up here. It was a hope, it was a dream, but from then forward, it became an expectation. It did, and I think the Grizz guys have fought that expectation valiantly, and I think it's been a great thing to raise the level of excellence. But oftentimes. 
especially for from about 96 to 2009, if you didn't win the national title, it was a disappointment rather yeah. than rather than this magical moment. So have you ever thought about the impact you guys had on just the foundation you laid? Oh, no, without a doubt, because, you know, what happened is, too, is as we started winning, athletes and the players that we started getting in were guys that we couldn't get. Right. Were guys that were maybe going to go to the next, you know, a bigger school up, but come here because they knew we were going to have success. So then that made it easier for each team to do well. Right. And I think it is tough because I know, I mean, Coach Houck was kind of criticized a little bit because he hadn't won some national championships when he was there playing. You know, they made it, to, I don't even remember how many they made it. Four. They made it to three. Three? Yeah, okay, yeah. three. Oh, four, oh, eight, no, And then nine, he was yep. criticized for not winning. And I'm like, dang, they're making it there. What what kind of expectations <laughs> do we have here? This right. is just ridiculous. If, you know, if yeah, we're I mean, supposed were... to win, every, every team out there, I've been on a lot of different teams. All of us are trying to win. We're all doing the right things to try to win. It's <laughs> right. not like... If you don't win the national championship, you're a failure. I mean, it's tough to have that kind of success. And, and the Grizzlies, it's, I mean, it's a tough deal. I feel like they're headed in the right direction, but it's tough. I mean, the Cats now are kind of rolling in, and I think that's that makes it even harder as a Grizzly to, to see the success success the cats are having it's interesting though too because montana state has not had to deal with the exact dynamic we're talking about yet mm-hmm. every step they take is the best they've done in 35 years yep. the, the you know the greatest season in in the generation and they don't have that looming the expectation is to win it all regardless so right after the 1995 season you guys go into the off season and then um some you know maybe three four months after the national championship don reed decides that's it. I, I, I've, I've, I've had enough. I've, I've, I'm ready to, to retire. That must have been a, 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 an incredible and also sort of shocking moment for you guys as players. Yeah, you know, we weren't completely shocked because we didn't know how long he was going to keep coaching. And as a coach, you know, having coached as long as he did, I mean, what a moment to walk out. Totally. <laughs> no doubt. Pretty good. Pretty good. I mean, it's kind of a <laughs> great thing. But at the same time, it was, it was sad because – Coach Reed, you know, obviously was a brilliant coach, but he also came across as your grandpa. You know, we're we're out on the field and he would come by and, and almost walk by almost everybody when we were stretching at some point during the day and just have a chat. Hey, how's your dad doing? How's your... What? And, and he would know things about all of us. Hmm. We always joke that he could never remember our name because he'd always <laughs> call us by number. <laughs> but That's he always knew stuff about our family or whatever it was. And, and so he, he was just, you know, we all just thought so highly of him and so to, to lose him and to lose our leader and to lose the the stories I mean before games he would just tell stories about whatever it was and and just he was so inspiring and so it was tough to have him go and wonder you know how are we going to move forward I mean we knew we had a good team but you know when you lose your leader it was tough McDonough he takes over Basically, the staff remained intact with the exception of, of Mick. I mean, I guess he's the head coach now. Brett Pease gets elevated offensive coordinator, but pretty much the same coaching staff. But what do you remember about just the way that the, the dynamic of the locker room and, and the internal expectations and everything shifted going into 96? Because now all of a sudden you guys are coming in, number one ranked team in the country, mm-hmm. defending national champs. You're going to be a senior. You guys have all these great players returning, like yourself, Jason Crebo. No one knew what Brian Ayat would become, but uh, pretty early on it was recognized that he was going to be pretty darn good too. What do, what do you remember about just coming into the 96 season? Oh, you know, Coach Dennehy and Coach Reed were so contrasting characters. You know, Coach Reed always would say, you know, any of the guys on the team, if we said a word that Coach Reed would say all the time, he'd say vanilla. 
That was the word he always used because he always wanted us to downplay everything and just be so vanilla about everything. And I can remember Coach Dennehy was kind of opposite. Mm. <laughs> I remember coming, he was said to the paper, like, we're going to kick the cat's butt. You know, <laughs> right. Coach Reed would never say, I mean, he would tell us that behind closed doors, sure. but he would never say that to the press. And so it was kind of fun because at the time we were, we knew we were good and he played right into that. And so he did a perfect job coming in there and uh, just basically Emi amplifying it to another level and just telling us how good we are, but at the same time, not letting us get complacent. And uh, going into that season, we, we knew we were going to be tough. I, I, I knew we were going to struggle probably without, obviously, Dave because Dave was amazing. But we'd seen Brian in practice a lot. You know, being first-team offense, you went against scout team all the time. And Brian was good. And, and so we felt pretty confident in that, and we knew our defense was going to be good. And so when we opened the season with Oregon State, and granted at the time Oregon State wasn't great, but we basically went down there and kicked their butt. I mean, it was 35-7. to 7. We put our second string in. They scored a touchdown on our second screen. And that doesn't happen at a big school unless you have a really good team. So we, you know, after that first game, we're like, okay, we're going to roll. Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, is sponsored by First Security Bank. And Coulter, while First Security has long been a supporter of the University of Montana and UM Athletics, People might be surprised to know how much First Security Bank, in fact, influenced the University of Montana program and the path they were on directly. Back in 1993, the Grizz were on their way to their second ever berth in the Division One AA playoffs. Previously, in 1989, the only other time Montana had made it to the Division One AA playoffs. And at that time, first-round home games awarded via a bidding process. And so to help support the Grizz football team, as well as fortify the faith throughout the community of Missoula, Bill Boucher, former president of First Security Bank, stepped up to the table to help the University of Montana guarantee any potential revenue lost for the first round of the playoffs. Playoffs, And, of course, that was recouped in a big way as the University of Montana in 1993 then started the first of 17 straight playoff berths. And in 1995, that local optimism was turned into national prominence as Montana made a run all the way to the 1995 National Championship. First Security Bank is proud to sponsor Grizz Greats and this 25-part podcast series commemorating the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions for Security Bank a proud supporter of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. When you finish your career at the University of Montana, back-to-back national championship appearances, you win it in 95, you go and your dream is to try and go to the next level, and you do it with the Green Bay Packers and then later with Jacksonville. What was that process like for you to try and get into the league and then also break into the point where you were I think at every every game player for Jacksonville when you were there. Yeah, so, you know, again, it was kind of like myself when I came from being Troy High School, no stoplight, tiny little team, to the Montana Grizzlies. It felt like the same step. Yeah. It felt like coming from the Grizzlies, you know, going to the Grizzlies to the NFL. It was a huge step. And again, I remember walking in my first day, and I didn't follow football because we were so busy with our own stuff. Um, I didn't follow football that much. And at the Titans at the time, um, now I'm spacing his name. He was a Heisman Trophy winner for uh, from Ohio State. Eddie George. Eddie George. I see Eddie George in the locker room, and I'm standing by one of my friends. I'm like, who is that? And they're like, oh, that's a running back. And I'm like, 
Oh my gosh. That's <laughs> now, what the running backs look like. Fair, this is going to be scary. Everyone said that about Eddie George. I, I, I like mean, even the, uh, the offensive linemen are like, wait, that's the running back? Get out of here, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, he's like a Greek goddess. I mean, the guy was just jacked and he was strong. And I, and I was like, and I didn't realize that's who that was at the time either. I just knew that was the running back. And I was like, oh crap. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, it was shocking. But, you know, having played in the big sky, with all the passing offense that we had done, it was nice because it came into those teams. And a lot of the stuff that the NFL was running at the time was pretty simple. Totally. And so, so mentally, it wasn't, it wasn't that big a deal to make that transition. But, you know, the speed and everything was so much different that um, it was definitely challenging at first. But, you know, as you started playing, you start playing with better players and, and you start getting better. After a little while, I was like, okay, we can do this. You play in the NFL for a handful of years, but then come back to Missoula. So your time at the University of Montana, how do you think that just set the stage for the rest of your adult life? Well, it's funny. I never really thought, my wife and I never really thought we would come back to Missoula to live. I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon, and so I was accepted to medical school and instead went and played NFL. I had a deferment, so I thought, what the heck? I might as well go play the NFL if I don't can't make it. I get to go to medical school the next year. And so things didn't work out that way. Uh, I, I wanted to play another year, so then I didn't get my chance to go to medical school. But we never really planned to come back to Missoula. But after living in a lot of areas where we really loved, we realized we wanted to be back home close to family. And when we came back here, we, we didn't know if we would stay, but we thought we just got to come back here and regroup. And when we got back here, we started building some houses, and, uh, or one house anyway, and it went well. And I never thought of myself as a builder. And then the next thing you know, I look up, almost 20 years later, and I'm a home builder, which is just weird to me because I could never envision myself doing that. It's just like surgery. It's just plywood instead of humans, right? <laughs> yeah, exact same thing. Right. <laughs> uh, you also, though, have had, uh, uh, I think, that the wonderful experience not merely of being a father, but of being a father to some daughters who are exceptional athletes in their own right. Uh, what's it been like for you to be on that side of it as a former athlete, a professional athlete yourself, to be to be a dad of of uh, such such gifted track stars? Well, it's been really fun, and my wife ran track here at the university, right. so it's really fun for the two of us because both of us are into athletics, and we both said when we were raising our kids early on that you know we're not going to push them that way. If if they don't want to do it, it's a lot of work. We don't want we don't want to put that pressure on them, but oh my gosh, they love it. And so we couldn't really keep them from doing it. And uh, it's been just a thrill to go and watch them. In fact, it's, I almost get more nervous watching them than when I was playing myself. <laughs> For sure. And uh, it's been so much fun. You know, I have, my oldest is in college, is, we're actually taking her this weekend back to college to Nebraska to do track. And then I have a senior this year that's her best sport is track, but she does, you know, basketball and, um, also soccer season right now. And then I have a little one that does three sports as well. So we get lots of opportunity to watch them compete. And I think the main thing is, is we just share with them to enjoy the experience. Because I think too many parents get caught up on how well or, or you know, are you a starter? How many points did you score? Or, you know, all this stuff. And at the end of the day, you look back and it's, it's the experience. And mm -hmm. it's the having fun. And we're always telling them, don't put pressure on yourself. Just have fun with it. Just enjoy it because that's what you're supposed to do. And it's been really fun for my wife and I and the rest of our family to share enjoying sports. I mean, 
college degrees and NFL chances and national championship rings, all that. Secondary, right? To be able to find a wonderful lady like Christy and then build a family like you have. I mean, that must be the most rewarding part of it. It totally is. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, the sports have been terrific, but to be able to have, um, you know, and with my career, I'm pretty, my schedule's pretty light where I can make it to everything they do. I don't think I've missed probably an event of anything they've done, which is one of the reasons I continued to build houses. And to just go through the ups and downs with them and what they're learning from sports it, it's something that you can't replace. I coached two of my daughter's basketball teams, helped coach another one's soccer team. And those experiences together, you, you just can't get that anywhere else. It's, it's uh, something that I would, I'm so thankful I was able to do that. What schools did Ashley, your oldest daughter, get offers from to run track? She had chances to go to Washington State, yeah. okay. Utah, um, smaller schools too, but those were kind of the big ones. But also an opportunity to go to Nebraska. And if I'm not mistaken, you said... Well, I don't care if you want to go or not. We're taking this visit because I got to go see the inner workings in Lincoln. Because when you were coming up, Nebraska football was that was it. That was yeah. the, that was that was the the best sh- the best show in the country as far as it goes. And then she ends up going there. What's that been like for you to have a daughter not just in the Big Ten but at Nebraska of all places? Yeah. No, it's funny because she's like you know, my daughter doesn't tra- obviously even follow football much at all, but especially in that time frame, because she wasn't even alive. And so when she got this letter to go down there on a recruiting trip, I was like, you have to go. Because like you yes. said, I want to go. I want to see this place. I mean, <laughs> they've been selling out since 1963. And and I didn't know about their track program, but I wanted to see their football stadium. <laughs> you know, I wanted to see this stuff. And so we went down there and within a day, the people in Nebraska were kind of like the people in Montana, just really nice, down-to-earth people. And within the first little bit we were there that day, she goes, ooh, I like this. I think I want to go here. And so it's been really fun. And so it's been really hard because I've been so excited to go down there and watch football games this season. And then with it canceled, no. I mean, because it's a neat, neat um, atmosphere there. I, I might have been telling you guys earlier, they played Ohio State this last year. We went to the game and they were getting throttled. You know, I, I think they had more interceptions than we had completions the first half for Nebraska. Mm. And nobody left. The people down there are just die-hard fans. I mean, and they go to all their sports. We went to one of Ashley's uh, track meets, and I don't know, three, 4,000 people in there watching. I mean, it was, it was cool. That's awesome. I mean, volleyball? Have you been to a volleyball game yet? Yeah, so, I mean, okay, they, so, they pack it for volleyball. Yeah, so <laughs> along that story, that same, when we were down there last summer, they had a scrimmage for volleyball, scrimmage. It was sold out for the scrimmage of wow. volleyball. The coach snuck us in there in the side and we got to go down there and watch a little bit. But you couldn't even go to the volleyball scrimmage. I was like, what the heck? <laughs> now, I don't know where your love of Napoleon Dynamite is, but you don't strike me much as an Uncle Rico who's living in the glory days talking about a 1984 state championships and that. But your your children are old enough now, I think, to have, you know, this understanding but did, was there was there a time where they're like wait a minute you were starting safety on a national championship football team that's 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 pretty good dad yeah no it's kind of funny because i think as the my daughters were growing up in school it would happen something would happen with one of their friends and they'd be like oh your dad played in the nfl right and, you know just like one of them would find out or something and then the girl's like yeah like whatever you know <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden later as they got older they're like oh that's pretty cool you know and then they would uh 
other things would happen and we had, you know, a get together of different things and they'd find out that we won the first national championship and they're like, whoa. I mean, because as your kids, you're just the dad that, you know, doesn't, tells them to pick up their room and, you know, make some meals and stuff like that. You're, that's what you are. You're, you could never have done, you know, like played sports like that or, or you, I don't know how are you guys with the ages of your kids, but your kids don't think that you know much. <laughs> they just don't and so when they find out that you actually could do something kind of well they're kind of shocked <laughs> it's too good well Blade, we'll get you out of here on this i'm sure that um as time evolves it's so interesting distinct memories become more vivid and fade all at the same time but can you believe that it's been 25 years since since then when we look back on it You've lived a lifetime since then, but uh, it still must be a pivotal memory in your life. It is. You know, when I really, sometimes it seems just like yesterday we were doing some of this stuff and you guys bring up certain things that I haven't thought about. And I'm like, whoa, that doesn't, I, that seems pretty new. Like it wasn't that long ago. I mean, it seems like a few years, especially when I look in the mirror and I have a little less hair and, <laughs> you know, the shoulders are, are smaller and the shoulder muscle is now around the belly, right? <laughs> so it's pretty obvious that way. And my body doesn't feel quite the same. So I, I recognize the time. But I run into some of my friends and we did some Zoom calls during this whole COVID thing. And you start talking with these guys and it's kind of like that time, it hasn't been that long because you have such a tight bond with them that uh, something that you, you just, you're so linked together because of what you went through that time doesn't really play relevance to, to, um, I mean, it doesn't feel like 25 years at all when we get together because we still talk about all these things and they seem like they were just yesterday. So it's really special. And I feel very fortunate to have been part of this great group of guys, um, obviously one of the best groups. And um, and to still, those guys are out there and have had so much success in, all, in a lot of the things that they do. I mean, most all these guys that were good football players are good people and are having great lives. Blaine McElmary, starting safety the 1995 National Championship team of the Montana Grizzlies. Blaine, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Championship team, is brought to us by Blackfoot Communications and First Security Bank. Our thanks to them for making this a possibility and to Blaine McElmurray for joining us in this episode. Subscribe, rate, and review all the Grizz Greats episodes, and they'll come to you as we release them throughout the fall and winter of 2020. Thanks for being with us and check in again for more Grizz Greats.